The following message was given by Shelby Murphy on Sunday, December 10th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Well, good morning, Redemption Hill. It is uh, always equally humbling, exciting, and terrifying to um, be up here, and today is no exception. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Shelby, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I have, today I had the daunting task of looking at Hebrews chapter 11 with us, all of it. Uh, now, if you've ever heard a series on Hebrews before, you know that you could easily spend five, six, seven weeks on this chapter alone, uh, but today uh, we're gonna get, we got 40 minutes, okay? So uh, grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11, because we're going to go for a ride this morning. So here's my plan for us. I'm actually going to read this entire chapter for us, so we can actually hear the author's argument being made, uh, and then we're going to spend some time focusing on what I believe is the singular focus of this uh, entire chapter. So here we go. I'll read for us. Chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God and that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and listen to this, and him as good as dead, uh, yeah, don't tell me there's not humor in the Bible. <laughs> Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many of the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been circled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me and me now to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That's God's word. Let me pray for our time together. Father, we've already sung about, we've already prayed about, we've already put our trust in the greatness of your love for us today. The greatness of your desire to give us what is good and the good we seek. And right now, we get the good of hearing your voice, of hearing your word, the good of knowing you better. And so, Father, please speak through your word this morning. Be glorified in us. As we then respond to your word, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to another familiar passage in Hebrews. And some of your Bibles may even have this heading over it, Hall of Faith. Now, we could probably quibble a little bit of whether or not that title is um, appropriate or not. Um, Whenever we hear it, we um, immediately think Hall of Fame or Hall of Justice, uh, and come to this chapter expecting to find people doing things we could never do. But that's not the right reading and right understanding uh, of this chapter. 
It's true that you do find people doing extraordinary things, but they do it by means of something that's ordinary. Something that's a daily reality for every Christian. Which is what this moniker actually does get right. The main subject of this chapter is faith. Now this word faith appears in some form 24 times in in this chapter alone. And while our modern world uh, might distance itself from many concepts, many Christian concepts, faith is not one of them. We see it all over our movies, from Indiana Jones to Contact, our sci-fi. We even sing about it in our pop music. As far as our culture is concerned, faith is a feeling. (laughs) Often it is um, uh, referring to a a sort of blind trust in ourselves, um, um, uh, becoming who we're really meant to be. Faith then becomes just something uh, you conjure up in, in yourself. It's another thing that you need to do to be uh, successful in this life. But this idea doesn't really stand up to any scrutiny. Um, the biblical definition of faith is radically different, um, as we'll see here in a minute. It's not about being a positive thinker. Instead, we are called to place our trust in something or someone outside of ourselves. Um, Let let me just put this chapter in context for us a little bit. Um, Chapters 10, 11, and 12 all kind of make one big coherent thought here. So um, let's just um, uh, remember the context that Ray walked us through last week. Uh, Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This, this author has been arguing that because of what Jesus has done and what he is doing, everyone who trusts in him can confidently enter the presence of God. We can draw near to God right now. We can have fellowship with him in the course of normal lives, and we can know and be assured and have confidence that our eternal home is in his presence. And we saw last week that there are two things that we can do with this confidence. One thing we can do is just simply throw it away. We can discard Jesus and go on deliberately sinning instead of repenting, showcasing how we probably never had any true confidence in Jesus to begin with. And the other thing we can do is hold fast or endure in our confidence. Holding fast to Jesus and seeking to honor him and coming to him for forgiveness when we fail. And these two paths sort of converge here in the last verse of chapter 10, which sets the stage for us today. It says this. But we, talking to these Christian Hebrews and Shebrews, but we, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. 
He tells us right here what is required to endure in confidence, to persevere in our loyalty to Jesus. To preserve our souls requires faith. George Michael may have been on to something here. We got to have faith. But put yourself in the shoes of the first readers of this letter. You just read that last sentence there. What kind of questions are uh, going through your noodle right about now? Um, Okay, Uh, well, what does that really look like? Um, How does this work? Uh, What is this faith thing you keep mentioning? How do I even know this is going to work? Because remember, it was the faith of these Hebrews that was being tested. They were were facing adversity. They were facing um, opposition and hostility. This path of enduring confidence was beginning to fade for them. They were facing public shaming, unjust treatment, probably prison, probably death even. And they may have wondered, is it really possible to endure in this Christian life without compromising? To make it to the end with confidence, with courage. And so the author is simply saying to them in chapter 11, I get it. Slow your roll a little bit. Do you think you're the first people to have to endure confidently, endure this Christian life confidently? I don't think so. So pull up a chair, and Grandpa is going to tell you some stories here. This path of enduring confidence is a path that is well-worn by many many you know and some you don't. You're part of a great multitude of believers that have gone before you. And this is what the author is telling us today. We are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That's talking about us. He actually calls these people a great cloud of witnesses there at the top of 12, which we'll get to next week, right after this chapter. People who, by the record of their lives in Scripture, testify to us even today. They testify to the fact that God is worthy of our faith and trust. He will sustain us to the very end. The path of enduring confidence is worth everything it costs. And he's going to show them what it's going to cost them here in a minute. So if you are weary of the world this morning, if you're weary of fighting sin, weary of not, of not fitting in, of weary of, of a body that is wasting away, this, this hall of faith here is here to put hope and endurance and assurance and confidence deep in your heart today. Now, we're unfortunately not going to be able to do much lingering in this gallery just for time or hit all of these characters, but um, that's why you have a Bible. Um, If you got some time this week, come back to this chapter, spend some more time in front of these characters, in in front of these portraits. So with our remaining time, I want to summarize this chapter the best I can with seven statements about faith. Starting with verse 1. What is faith? Let's look right here at verse 1 and see how God's word actually defines this. Now, faith is the assurance 
of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Faith is not just a feeling. It's not just saying, I hope all of this is true. It means being certain about something. Notice the two key words here in this first verse. Assurance and conviction. Faith is confidence that when God makes a promise, it's true and it's right. It is absolute assurance that God's word can be relied upon. But what is it exactly that we have this assurance and confidence about? Again, this tells us right here. Verse 1 highlights the two types of things that we know by faith. Things hoped for. Things not seen. Things hoped for are simply those things in the future that have not yet happened. Things not seen are in the past. Events that we were not there to physically see. Or to put all of this simply, our faith, our trust, our confidence is in what God has done and in what God will do. And we are given our first illustration of things not seen right there in verse 3. When he says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. By show of hands, how many of you saw God create the universe? Anyone? Bueller? Anybody? So how do you know he did it? Good answer. <laughs> You have to believe it by faith. There are things in the past that we take on faith simply because we weren't there to see them. How many of you saw Noah build the ark? How many of you saw Moses lead his people through the Red Sea? Or probably even more core to our faith, how many of you actually saw Jesus die on the cross? All events that we embrace as true by faith. Now, is, is this faith groundless? Absolutely not. We have tremendous historical evidence that confirms what we know by faith. It just means that we were not there to see it with our eyes. It's a conviction of things not seen. Yet faith is not just about what God has already done, but also about what God will do in the future. Things hoped and what the author is alluding to here is the second coming of Christ. His second advent, if you will. We remember his first advent, his first coming this time of year. Things unseen, anybody? While also longing for his second advent, his coming again, things hoped for. We look back to creation with faith in what we have not seen, but we also look forward with hope to a new creation when Jesus will return to set things right. So we have to trust God with, with what is coming. We have to believe that Jesus is real and that he is coming back. We have to trust him with our lives and our futures. If you're anything like me, then you worry about a lot of things in this life. I wish I could see the future. 
But that is exactly where faith kicks in. We hope for what we do not see, as it says in Romans 8. Part of faith is trusting that God will provide for you. He's going to walk before you and keep his promises to you as you go. Faith either looks back at what God has done or it looks to the future at what God will do. Either way, faith is about trusting God. And what makes faith work is what we put our faith in, not how much of it we have. We often assume that what makes faith successful is how strong it is. But that's simply not true. What makes faith so powerful is the object of our faith. As some of you know, me and my family love watching the TV show Alone. I can't recommend it um, uh, enough. It's a great show, so get on it, people. If you haven't seen it already, they drop these contestants off in the middle of nowhere with just basic essentials alone, obviously, uh, with a camera and a, and, a, and a bunch of batteries, and they film themselves surviving in just the craziest of harsh conditions. Some of the hard seasons to watch are when, are, 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 are when it gets cold. And in one of their um, alone frozen seasons, some contestants actually had a go at um, uh, ice fishing uh, to, to simply try and eat, to simply try and um, uh, survive. And you would see them slip and slide out onto some frozen pond or lake trying to find some good spot to, to chisel a hole in the ice to try and catch some fish. And the whole time you're sitting there watching this going, please don't fall in, please don't fall in, please don't fall in. I sure hope that ice is strong enough. Because if you've seen the show, you know that as soon as someone falls in the water, they're done. The strength of that ice is far more important than the strength of their confidence in that ice. Those contestants might be very confident that the ice will hold them. But if it's too thin, guess what? They're going through it. Confidence or not. Faith or not. But you could be the most hesitant and unassured person heading out onto that ice. But if it's solid, it's going to hold. It's the same way with the object of our faith, Jesus. Jesus will hold. What matters is what we're believing in. We can have a sense of certainty in our faith because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on something external, not on our own feelings and experience. You, you might be just starting to know and trust the God of this Bible, or you might have trusted him for a long time, but a season of, of suffering is testing what you thought you believed. That's okay. If your faith is in the real God, then guess what? It's real faith. And the more you come to know him through his word, the more he will prove himself worthy of trust. And the sturdier your trust in him will become. That's what faith is. It's the unseen realities of God. Second, what faith receives. Faith receives God's commendation. Faith receives favor from God. Faith is not simply about what we believe to be true, but faith is also how we relate to God and we receive his commendation, his favor. The author tells us in verse 2 that by faith, 
people of old received their commendation. And it's the same thing we find in verse 4 with really our first portrait in this gallery. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. This is in verse 4. Through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. You should be familiar with the story. Both Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's two sons, offered sacrifices to God. But only Abel's was uh, accepted. And the reason it was accepted, according to Hebrews, is because that it was offered by faith. And again, looking back at that Genesis uh, account through the lens of Hebrews actually allows us to see that perhaps Abel's sacrifice was approved precisely because it included the shedding of blood. Remember, that's all we've heard the past two chapters in Hebrews about the necessity of a blood sacrifice to rightly approach God's throne. Abel was not sinless, but he offered a sacrifice for his sins, and God commended him and counted him as righteous in his sight by faith. In the same way, we always approach God through Christ, our blood sacrifice. And this story just further demonstrates this is how it's always been. Our world today is still divided into Cain's and Abel's, those who approach God in their own way and those who approach God through Christ. Society tells us that everyone gets to decide for themselves how to approach God. Uh, but I hate to spoil it for you. God's word tells us otherwise. And Abel's voice can s- still be heard today. Though he died, he still speaks. We always approach God by faith. Through the blood sacrifice of Christ. Going on, the author also reminds us of um, Enoch, who, as Genesis tells us, walked with God. And now it says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. He was taken to heaven without having to die. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Like Abel, Enoch pleased God by faith. And this is still true for us today. We please God by faith. It is only by faith that anyone in any time can be considered righteous in the eyes of God. And and I want to be clear here about what I mean when I say please God by, by our faith. It is not as if faith is some sort of meritorious good work that God rewards. No, it simply means that faith is the sole means by which we receive the things that save. Namely, Christ. And since God is pleased with Christ, he's pleased with me. Faith is inherently relational that way. It means It's the means by which we relate to God personally. It's not simply knowing things about God, but it's a relationship made possible through Jesus. And God is pleased when we believe that he rewards those who seek him. He's pleased when we believe that he wants us to draw near 
Do you believe that today? I know we've heard that a lot the past couple of weeks in this text. That God wants you to draw near to him. Or do you find it hard to believe that God wants to be near you? God just doesn't want us to believe in his existence. He wants us to know his goodness. That he loves us and desires closeness with us. He's pleased when we seek him. We saw last week in 1038 what God thinks if we, if we shrink back from that. My soul has no pleasure in him. But God told us here that he rewards everyone who seeks after him. He shows favor. He commends. It pleases him when we seek him by faith, when we seek him by trusting what he has said about himself in Scripture. So as you're reading God's word tomorrow morning and seeing Jesus together, know this. You aren't seeking him in vain. If you want to know him better, you will. He is pleased and he will commend you. Third, what faith sees. Faith looks forward to the fulfillment of God's promises. He looks forward. Faith looks forward to God's city to come. It's the assurance of things hoped for. One of the reasons it helps us endure is that it reminds us that our true home isn't here and now. That was the experience of um, uh, Abraham. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He lived in a tent with his two sons. We can barely go on a vacation in the same car together. Man, that's, that's rough. This is simply rehearsing the um, events of um, Genesis 12, when God called Abraham to leave his home and journey to a foreign land. He was to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And here's the problem, as we just read, Abraham didn't know where he was going. Of course, God promised that this plot of land would one day become the inheritance of Abraham's many descendants. But Abraham never got to see that day. On the contrary, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents. Even so, we read that Abraham did not resist or delay his departure. He didn't complain or make excuses. Instead, what does it say? Those first four words. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. But why didn't he complain? Again, he did it by faith. Abraham believed something that allowed him to obey instantly. And verse 10 tells us what that was. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham knew that even death wouldn't keep him from experiencing the fullness of God's promises. That his real home, his real inheritance, where all would be made well, was out there beyond the end of his life. 
He was actually looking forward to a different land altogether. Unseen, but still very real. Eternal, not temporary. Skip ahead to verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this world. On this world. Guys, this world is not your home. Not as it currently is anyway. You are a stranger and exile in this world. In fact, you're just living in a tent just like Abraham was. Your eternal home is this world made new. A new creation. A city with eternal foundations built by God. For the express purpose of Him dwelling with us and us dwelling with Him. A city without sin. A city without suffering. Without death. Abraham lived and died by faith. He lived and died in hope. The same faith and hope you and I need. Something beyond this life that suffering and death can't take away. And by faith, we have one. Verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly home. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. When by faith we hope in that city, God is pleased. He's not ashamed to be called our God and we won't be put to shame either because he's prepared it for us. It should. Hear me now. It should be a relief. For you to not expect all of your satisfaction in in this life. Let me say that again. It should be a relief for you to not expect all of your satisfaction in this life. That should be a burden off of your shoulders. Because this life will disappoint you. It's going to break your heart. But there's a city to come that won't. And that's where faith looks. That's what faith sees. Fourth, what faith enables. Faith enables obedience. We saw it in verse 7 with the... I'm going to use this word a lot. I don't like using it, but I feel like it, this, these stories warrant it. We saw it in verse 7 with the radical obedience of Noah. You ever thought about this story? It is bonkers. <laughs> verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. God gave Noah a command that makes zero sense and asked Noah for his obedience. And Noah obeyed in reverent fear, saving his family. Same way, faith leads us into radical obedience. Even in the face of things that do not make sense. The essence of faith is looking outside of our own understanding and deciding to obey because we trust that God's right. (laughs) And notice we're told here that by his radical obedience, Noah condemned the world. In other words, it showed that he believed God and not the hollow promises of his culture. And since the rest of the world rejected God's warning, they were left only with judgment. 
But, 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 but um, uh, again, don't think Noah was approved by God simply because of his obedience. No, the passage actually tells us plainly that Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by what? Faith. In other words, his righteous standing before God was not acquired on the basis of his good works, but on his trust in a future Savior. Look, the whole point of these stories, and we, we can go on, is seeing such obedience here from these characters should be an encouragement to us. Because at our core, we are cynics. We're all skeptics when it comes to obedience, especially radical obedience. For some reason, we think that nobody really obeys God this way. It's not possible. But this gallery shows us that radical obedience is possible only by faith. And in addition to this radical obedience, faith also enables costly obedience. Jump down to verse 23. I want you to compare and contrast two verses here. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now skip down to verse 27. By faith, he, Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. See any similarities there? Neither Moses or his parents were afraid of the king. Faith fears God, not man. They didn't live like everyone else in Egypt. His parents ignored the king's edict, edict to kill every Hebrew boy. And Moses, when he grew up, raised in Pharaoh's palace with riches at his disposal, the easy life in front of him, turns his back on all of it to identify with and be mistreated with slaves. Why in the world would he do that? He did that because he could see something that the Egyptians couldn't. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses didn't fear the king. That's not where he was looking. He saw him who is invisible. He feared God. And that reordered his perspective on life. Again, faith says no to the world. Go back up to 20, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Think about those two choices in front of Moses. And I can't remember which pill does what. Ray, you may have to remind me. I don't know. In, in one hand... One hand, power, wealth, pleasure. In the other hand, mistreatment and reproach, the text tells us. And he chose mistreatment and reproach. Why? Because of things unseen. By faith, he was looking to the reward that God gives those who seek him. Moses knew that the pleasures of sin are fleeting. They won't satisfy. And our author hopes that we understand that as well. Do you believe what Moses believed? 
Moses was able to flee from sin and a love of wealth because an invisible God was much bigger to him than anything in front of his eyes in Egypt, including the king. He feared God and he wanted to please God. And don't just read past this. The author actually presents Moses as a follower of Christ. Even though he lived long before Jesus, he looked ahead to the time when God would deliver his people through the real Passover lamb. As Jesus himself said, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Faith enabled Moses to resist the instant gratification of sin in favor of the vastly superior reward of a godly life. In the same way, faith enables you and I to endure in confidence, to resist temptation by fearing and obeying an invisible God, by looking forward to our great reward, Jesus. Fifth. What faith delivers us from? Faith delivers us from God's judgment. Faith delivers us from death. Verse 20, verses 29 to 31 describe two situations in which God makes a distinction among, among people in which some come under judgment and some escape. By faith, the people cross the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Two groups of people try and cross the Red Sea. One group walks through on dry land. The other group drowns. God sends judgment on a city, Jericho. He sends his people against them. Most in the city were killed, except a prostitute was spared. Why were some judged while others um, uh, escaped? Again, what's our word? Faith. Faith, thank you. Faith escaped God's judgment. Those who trust the God of this Bible will never come into the judgment that their sins deserve. Those who trust the God of the Bible are counted righteous and their judgment has already fallen on Jesus. And if you need any encouragement this morning that your sins are not a barrier to God loving and accepting you, please look no further than the first five words of verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute Rahab was not spared because she was the most virtuous person in Jericho. She was spared because she trusted the God of Israel. This is not a hall of virtuous superheroes. And hopefully this is an encouragement to you today. God loves sinners. He gave his son for them. He gave his son for you and for me. And if you trust him, you never need to fear his judgment. Faith escapes it. Faith delivers us from God's judgment. Let's keep going. Sixth, what faith endures? Faith endures adversity. Faith endures opposition. 
In verses 32 to 38, the author picks up the pace a little bit. He starts tossing out names and stories left and right. What more am I going to say? I'm in the same predicament right now. What more am I going to say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. You can hear the crowd starting to get revved up right there. There's this crescendo going on. It sounds like he's building up for a big crescendo about how faith is going to enable us to triumph no matter what. How faith is going to make everything right. He says that by faith they quench the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Hallelujah. Drums kick in. Organ sound. That's it. We just start dancing right there. <laughs> By faith, everything will turn out for me. God always delivers. Cue my poor, sad trombone again. Womp, 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 womp. The rest of verse 35 is going to sound a very dissonant note for us. Some were tortured, uh, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. And it doesn't stop there. It gets way worse. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. mistreated. Faith does not mean that everything is going to turn out well for us in this life. And I get it. This is not really a great advertisement for the Christian life. On a purely human level, no one's ever going to sign up for that. Which is exactly why this is a mark of faith. It is people of faith who value and love Jesus more than anything and are willing to suffer in this way. We may suffer in the present, but we will receive glory in the future. And sometimes God delivers his people. He brought Daniel out of a lion's den, three friends out of a fiery furnace, but then others were stoned. As we just read, some people escaped the sword, the edge of the sword, but he also says some were were killed by it. Faith doesn't mean that you're going to escape all adversity, but faith enables you to endure it. Sometimes by faith, we're, we're healed from cancer. Sometimes by faith, We die well with it. Sometimes by faith, a marriage is reconciled. Sometimes by faith, we go through divorce without being destroyed by it. If we treat faith like some sort of magic talisman that's going to ward off all suffering, then when suffering comes, and it will, we'll think faith is worthless and we'll, we'll toss it aside. But if we see faith as it really is, as our lifeline, our connection to a God who loves us and does what's best for us, then it will carry us through. The author doesn't want the recipients of this letter to throw away their confidence when suffering comes. So he reminds them of all who have endured by faith. And he locates our hope rightly, not in this life, but beyond it. So that they might rise again to a better life. Our hope isn't in this life. It's in the resurrection. 
It's when Jesus comes again in that second advent, bringing with him a better life. Till then, faith is going to endure adversity. Let me finish this out here. Finally, what encouragement for faith do we have that all of these characters didn't? We have perfection through Christ at every step of the way. So far, the author has been emphasizing how we're like these Old Testament believers. But now he names one way that we're different. Verse 39. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. There's something that, in all, there's something that all these characters were looking forward to. That we've received. What is it that, as he says, makes perfect? Again, think back to last week. We heard about it then in chapter 10 when Ray said, For by a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ offered himself in our place so we could be made perfect in God's sight. Clean acceptable, righteous. So we can draw near to him in a way that Abraham and Moses and David never could. They were looking ahead to it. We live in it. This time of year, we celebrate all the promises that were fulfilled in the birth of Jesus, things unseen, while at the same time looking ahead to things hoped for. But right here is one more promise kept. Reminding us that he who promised is faithful. This means we have a sympathetic high priest we can go to any time for any reason. When you're feeling weak, when you're tempted, when we're in need of help, it means our eternal hope is secure. Because where Jesus has gone into the presence of God we who trust him follow right behind him. Endurance in the Christian life comes from seeing by faith. Seeing the unseen realities of a God who makes promises and is pleased when we seek him. Seeing the unseen reality of a home beyond death. Free from sin and sorrow. Free from judgment. Where all who believe escape that judgment. Seeing the unseen reality of a reward which outweighs all the pleasures and treasures of this life. And believing and hoping and trusting that it's all real. And that we can actually build our lives upon it today. That's what this great cloud of witnesses wants us all to know today. If you follow God, you don't get it all now. But in Christ, we will get it all. We'll get it on that final day that we hope for this time of year. When Christ looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Are you ready for that? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ today? God can be trusted to do all he has promised. So seek him.
Fear Him. Trust Him to the end. Redemption Hill, endure in your confidence in our promise-keeping God by faith. And we have another opportunity now to remember one of these unseen things. In that bread, we remember Jesus' body offered to us on a cross we didn't see. In the juice, we remember Jesus' blood shed for us. A single offering by which Christ, our blood sacrifice, has perfected us for all time. So that we have a future to look forward to. To confidently endure and hope in. So if you don't know this Jesus today, take this time to put your faith and your hope and your trust in him. Let me pray for us. Father, we come confessing by faith today that you are faithful. And that you're going to do all that you've said. That every word from you will prove true. And we want to live our lives inside your promises. We want to build on things you have said uh, which are real, even though we can't see them. So God, increase our faith today. Help us to see and trust what you want us to see and trust. Transform us. Use us. Let the way that we live, looking to you who's invisible, point those around us to your reality and your trustworthiness. And Father, help us to endure all the way, all the way to the end. It's only you who can do this in us. All this we ask in confidence because of our great high priest, your single offering who has perfected for us, us for all time, Jesus Christ. In his name, we pray today. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Shelby Murphy, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.